On today's pod, we have the last episode of Rise I Match. And to wrap things up, we have two special panelists, Dr. Sabatinos and Dr. Botello. They share their involvement with Ryerson, their research, and of course, their teaching experiences. So please lean in and enjoy this conversation with Dr. Sabatinos and Dr. Botello. Okay, so welcome everyone. Uh, this week is actually our last week of Rai Match, and we have two very special guests, Dr. Sabatinos and Dr. Botello. Most of you probably recognize them from uh, our classes. So if you guys want to introduce yourselves and say your role at Ryerson. Sarah, go for it. Wasn't sure if it was alphabetical. Um, okay, I'm Sarah Sabatinos. I am um, a professor here at Ryerson in the Department of Chemistry and Biology, and I'm the undergraduate program director. So what that means is if you have questions about your program or if uh, you want to talk about a course substitution or directive or what you can or can't take to fulfill your degree program, things like that, I'm happy to talk to you and um, to see how we can best fulfill your degree requirements. And to my right here in the panel is Dr. Patello. <laughs> Wait, no, it's th this way, it's this way. For me, it's this way. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Being eaten by uh, cells. There you go. Hi, I'm Rob Patello. I, I am a professor at uh, chem in chemistry and biology. I teach cell biology typically, but also a couple of, I've been running the graduate seminars for 10 years now, well over that actually. And uh, I run a lab, um, research in cell biology, immune cells, blah, blah, blah. I hold a Canada research chair, which I can uh, talk a little bit more about it. Uh, if you want, um, it gives me the ability to do more research uh, with a teaching break. And um, yeah, it's, otherwise it's, uh, you know, my role here is, you know, teach, uh, mentor graduate students and postdocs and develop their scientific and professional skills over time. Okay, time. Thank you. Um, and if you can just tell us a bit like how you got here today. So how you got to your position being as a professor at Ryerson, um, maybe dive into like your hometown, your schooling, any major transitions to get here. Okay, I guess I can go first yeah. and then Sarah, you can, yeah. Um, so actually I, I wrote something along these lines for uh, Ryerson University Portuguese Association uh, recently, uh, an undergraduate Portuguese Association, they asked me about it. So I'm originally from Portugal. Uh, I grew up in Portugal in, in the Azores, which are these islands in the middle of the Atlantic. You can think of them as the Portuguese Hawaii. They are volcanic, they are very pretty. Um, you know, beautiful lagoons and, and whatnot. And uh, I grew up in a small village. There's like 3,000 people, farmland. Uh, my grandfather had a farm. We had pigs and chickens growing in the backyard. That's my, my background. And I left when I was 14. I was dragged out of Portugal, kicking and screaming because I didn't want to leave. I was 14. So you can imagine I wasn't very pleasant with my parents when they did that to me. And for a while, I, I fought uh, uh, being here. I even skipped uh, high school for two weeks. I didn't know about it because in protest. 
anyway, that's where I come from. I look back at it now with fondness, of course, you know, being able to roam uh, up the mountains and creeks and catching frogs. That's literally what we did. But um, I've always wanted to do science. As a little kid, I was very much fond uh, about nature. I, I always wanted to be a scientist. At some point it was engineering, but it was always in that field, engineering, science. So this was where my mind was and got cemented in, in, in high school uh, through my biology teacher. Uh, I really liked genetics. And then from there, I went to York University. So I, I came to, to Toronto. I've been living in Toronto uh, since I was 14. And, um, you know, uh, my parents, simple background. My mom was the cleaner. My dad was construction, very typical Portuguese immigrants. And uh, did my high school in West Toronto Collegiate, like I said, you know, what drove me to genetics was, uh, biology was my uh, high school teacher. I don't even remember him. That's the funny thing, the name. I remember him, but I don't remember the name. I went to York University, did my undergrad there. Uh, and uh, by luck, like a lot of things in life is a little bit of luck, right? I, again, genetics, I had this teacher, uh, Dr. Mons, Peter Mons, intimidating as heck. But I love genetics and I got lucky. I applied for a summer position there. And that really is where things I got here because it set me in that path, right? Research, experience, you know, really getting to know the lab culture and dealing with people, not in a positive way, it was constructive. And then uh, that led me to a UFT in biochemistry at uh, Sick Kids with Sergio Greenstein, awesome uh, mentor. I own a lot followed by a postdoc in the US, San Diego. I was like, I'm gonna go to California. And um, met my wife there. She didn't know she was coming back to Canada or to Canada to join you know, Southern California into snow country. But my postdoc was actually split between San Diego and my lab then moved to Ithaca, Cornell University. So it was the same lab, same postdoc, but two locations. So two for one kind of deal. And in 2008, I got my position at Ryerson. Uh, I wanted to come back to Toronto and got lucky very lucky uh and here i am yeah it's funny that you say like you got lucky um like with that job position because we've heard a lot of props saying like random like serendipitous moments just like brought them to where they are today yeah think of life as you know uh, you're percolating down one of those i don't know what was that game in uh, uh the price is right with the, the disc falling down. Panko, was it? I can't remember. It, oh. Life is very much like that, right? You go down and you're completely blind. You can plan, but you never know where you're going left or right. And if you're going to get $10,000 or crash out, <laughs> you want the $10,000. But yeah, there's a little, a, a, no matter how you plan, there's a, an element of serendipity, right? But this is also why I say meet people, meet people, because the more you meet people, the more likely you'll find that person that takes you in a certain direction, hopefully positive. Right? It's, it is important to do that, right? Buying extra lottery tickets. Anyway, Sarah. Actually, sorry, I have a question for you, Dr. Patello. Hmm. Um, I'm just curious how it was to learn English. Did you learn it in Portugal as well? Yes. So in Portugal, uh, grade five, we started having English, grade six, oh, okay. grade seven. So I was in grade eight when I left also had French. Uh, so, but of course it's not the same, right? You have one hour of, of language, but you know, I went, I arrived here, I went to grade eight ESL. So it was very much ESL and amazing. I don't know how it happens. If you ask me how it happened, I'm like, one day I'm, I'm dreaming in English and everything is English. And, you know, I, I struggle with Portuguese, but yeah, it, it just, you know, even at 14, it was just, uh, I still have my accent, right? I, I, two years <laughs> earlier, I wouldn't have an accent, but 
Yeah, I still, but it's, English is my language now. I, I everything I do is in English. Right? Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious. Okay. Yeah, yeah, of course. And Dr. Sabatinos. Yeah, it's funny. So when I first met um, Dr. Patello here, I learned that he had worked with Peter Mowens at York, and I knew him from the meiosis field, which I had done worked in in my postdoc, and it was really interesting because yeah, he he's a I can imagine he was a spectacular mentor. Yes. actually, and as you say, a little imposing and intimidating, but wow, he was a fantastic scientist. Mm -hmm. And same thing, yeah. And I think that actually what your story, the thing that really hits home for me is like the influence of mentors and, and so meeting the people who can help you, um, you know, bridge the gaps and find new opportunity. And I'd love the analogy of Plinko because you don't know what you're gonna get and you may not love initially what you have, what, what you have to work with, but with a bit of work and effort, you know, you can really do great things. And so like the, the luck of the Plinko, you don't know sometimes, but it's, it's also a lot of fun. It's really rewarding. And that's kind of life in general, really. Um, anyway, I, so I'm from Southern Ontario. I grew up in Milton, which um, just down the 401. Uh, and when I was finishing high school, I had to choose, I was trying to decide if I was going to go, uh, for piano, actually, I had kind of thought I wanted to go to Mount Allison and, and study piano or probably music therapy. I would have gone into, or, um, if I wanted to go in science and the, the thing that was really important was I went to the science school. So at the Ontario science center, when I was in my last year of high school, um, and so I have one of the red lab coats that you see around sometimes. And that's where I started to really become interested in physics. So I, when I went to University of Guelph, I was in biophysics and I was really excited because, you know, it's like calculus, okay, fine. Physics, okay, fine. But really, really wanted to do was biophysics because I wanted to think about mechanics and, um, you know, all, all the things that influence movement and metabolism and all that from a biophysical sense. And so I, I made it into my second year where I took my first biophysics course and I hated it. Like I loathed it, <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> and so that for me was a bit of an awakening. I was like, oh, oh my goodness. I, I just really am not enjoying this at all. And that was useful actually, because I then went into a bit of a break where I took some electives Kind of figured out what I wanted to do, and at this at that time I took like two history courses, uh, biochemistry and organic chemistry, and I loved chemistry. I love biochemistry. I liked history too. So then I was kind of like, well, do I want to do? I was going to do medieval history, which is I know another weird thing. And I thought about minoring for a while, but then I settled on biochemistry, like that. Went to U of T because I had an opportunity to work as a summer student in the lab where I eventually did grad school. And that was a virology lab. And from my PhD supervisor, what I learned was about um, science as a story, as you have a research interest and you know the work that you do is contributing to something bigger, a part of a whole, and how you frame that. Like, because when I read the description for this job as an undergraduate going through the booklet, right? I was like, oh my goodness, this sounds, I have no clue what it's talking about. And then I talked to him and it was like, wow, this is a great project, fantastic. And actually the one thing that really, I remember specifically that I loved about the project that I did as an undergrad was that the antibodies were already made. 
And I had just learned in biochemistry how you make antibodies. <laughs> and I knew that I didn't want to spend a long time characterizing antibodies. So I went into this virology lab and that's where I did my PhD. And um, it was a strange project because I was knocking out um, a protein that interacted with the viral pathogenesis protein. And I made this knockout and it was lethal. Like it was so lethal, everything died before you could do any work. So I had to start looking at different ways of assessing how you remove this protein. So I did a lot of siRNA just as it was really coming in as a technique and um, other ways like cell-free systems, so more biochemistry. And that kind of taught me that tools in your tool belt to approach a problem is really important. So then I looked around and I said, okay, you know, there's one model organism where they knocked out my protein of interest for my PhD and it survived and they got useful data. And it was a, a yeast called fission yeast. And so I went looking online and I found this person in California, also California, um, who did fission yeast research and had this amazing website. And so the power of, um, of publicity, right? Having a great website, I should update mine. And um, I went to Susan Forsberg's lab in California because she, she was again, great at talking about her research and communicating in the larger community. And so it was a chance to learn new tools to look at molecular biology and molecular genetics questions. And funny, so Rob, you talk about genetics first and now you do really more cell physiology type things. I started off more cell physiology and wound up with more genetics. And if you had asked me initially, I would have said, no way, I don't wanna, I don't want to teach or learn about genetics as, a, as an undergraduate, but it's funny where you wind up. So anyway, uh, and then you, um, Dr. Patella was actually on my hiring committee when I came to Ryerson. And that was, it was in uh, 2015 in May when I moved up. And so that's how long I've been here. Okay, thank you. And um, I think both of you touched upon this. Um, Dr. Sabatinos, you wanted to get into piano as a kid, right? In uh, like elementary school, you wanted to study music? Uh, high school even, yeah. So okay. I was, yeah, I was working on my ARCT and then I went to university and that didn't get finished. Yeah. Do you still play the piano or that's done? Somewhat, not as much. Cause there was a lot of time when I didn't have access. So it's, um, it's definitely slid by the wayside but I played a few other uh, instruments as well too. So. Like now you, you play other instruments? Uh, yeah, I have a harp, a folk harp, and I um, flute, and flute I really haven't played in years. <laughs> That's interesting. Um, and Dr. Patello, did you know what you wanted to do as a kid? You, you said you like science, but did you? Uh, I, you know, so when people ask me, you know, how do you know what you want to do? I, I'm one of those horrible examples because I have always been in this direction. Oh. I could have been that, you know, at some point I could have not been given the chance of, to do what I'm doing, but this is what I wanted to do, right? It, it, it was always not necessarily a professor, a scientist. That's what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I, I, the only time I, I, I wavered was a, a few months in California when I first went there. You know, the transition from PhD, my PhD lab was very engaging, very active. My friends were there. And then I went to this lab in California where the dynamics, at least in the beginning, were different. And then that kind of impacts on how you view things, right? So there was a moment there, I'm like, I don't want to be in the lab 
maybe I should do national for geographic photography, wildlife photography. <laughs> but that didn't last long because thankfully two guys came in that really changed the dynamics of the lab. And again, it went back to that. Like I, I'm really, the, the lab environment matters so much for your experience. And so who you have around matters, right? And, you know, again, you don't know going in for sure, but that changed. And so, yeah, I went back to this. Now I, I want to do science. And of course, I got lucky that I, I managed to get this position. Um, so, yeah, um, I don't play other instruments other than iTunes. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I certainly, you know, didn't have the, the wide interest that Dr. Sabatino's courtesy have had. Yeah, yeah. it could be scattered at times though. I, yeah. I respect what you're talking about, so. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, can I, uh, I don't know, again, I, I feel like, you know, it would be better if more people had their cameras on. Again, of course it's not mandatory, but if you guys are listening and you wanna turn your camera and your have stable, I, I don't know, like when I'm teaching class in cell biology this year, I'm like, turn on your camera, so again, no, no, not to put anyone on the spot, but I feel like if I see more people, it's better, but maybe no one. They, they may not be prepared to put their no. cameras on. No, no, exactly. That's why I'm saying, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Just I like, suggesting. I like right. what you said about like being like who you're surrounded with really matters because even like aside from like school, um, even like having a part-time job, like I feel like I like I enjoy my part-time job better when I'm working with people that are better to work with. Yeah. Um, so I really like what you said there about like the lab environment, how it really matters. Yeah. Um, so in your role at Ryerson, we can start with you, Dr. Patello again. Um, in your role at Ryerson, what do you spend most of your time doing? <laughs> Emailing. <laughs> Emailing. Oh, that is the bane of my existence. Uh, no, all joking aside, yeah, emailing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. So what do I spend? Uh, it, it, this job is really, uh, you manage uh, quite a number of things and Dr. Sabatin is, I'm sure will attest to the same thing. So yeah, there's the, the teaching aspect. Uh, and you might look, oh, wow, it's three hours of teaching. Well, obviously you have two courses, but of course there's the managing of things, right? But really, um, research. So my lab, you know, I've been fortunate to have enough funding that you know, I don't know, I think we're 12 people plus a couple of, you know, a few undergrads. And so it, it's a, it, it's an intense lab with lots of going on. And, you know, I meet with people individually and then we have groups and then there's always things going on. Right. And so a good chunk is managing research. I'm not in the lab. You'll never see me in the lab. Like, and I don't want to. <laughs> Yesterday I was actually, uh, I went in and I, I, I've been trying to troubleshoot and we have a new microscope. So I went in just to get a sense of what the microscope was with the, the guy from Quorum. And, and, but I'm never in the lab, right? So, so my time is managing. And of course, there's a lot of service components that you guys don't really hear us, right? But like, you know, this, all these committees about, you know, governing, uh, you know, changing courses, updating programs, but also, you know, how do we change uh, science? What can we do to be more competitive? I'm running this thing you, you might hear soon enough about it in, in Ryzen today called the urban, um, well, I'm not running, but I, I'm co-leading the development, uh, Ryzen Urban uh, Health and Wellbeing Nexus. So it's a new venture that we're gonna bring in really to try and network and, and drive collaboration internally and externally about health and well-being. So, you know, it, it's a lot of things. 
right? And that makes it fun. It can sometimes be a little bit overwhelming if you have, you know, a CHR deadline and you have to manage these other things that always stream like emails. I'm not kidding about it. Um, you know, it can be. And of course, if you have a family, you have to manage that, right? So um, it's busy. I wouldn't, I, like, I want to do this. This is, I'm, I'm, I love my job, but it can be busy if you're not careful about, like, staying on top of things. So, yeah, um, multitasking is a thing for us. And um, my recommendation, though, is not necessarily multitask where you're constantly flipping at the same time, but really dedicating time, right? Two hours for writing a certain thing, nothing else, right? And then managing all that. There's my phone somewhere. Where is my phone? <laughs> all right, sorry, take it. <laughs> it was endocytosed. It's in one of the cells behind you. Um, yeah, so I, I think same thing. There's So there's a lot of stuff that's hidden that I don't think you appreciate when you're starting off um, in this job. And, and certainly not as a postdoc, I didn't know about. And I was reflecting on the other day about course management and just how interesting it is um, as a skill to have to learn. And, and every year it's different. And COVID has been interesting, I think, you know, maybe not, well, definitely from course management, but also how you design courses. So, you know, there's a fair amount of time spent with teaching um, and definitely um, making sure that there's enough time for the graduate students in the lab. Um, so I have six graduate students right now and a postdoc. And then some undergraduates. And I do work in the lab still, actually. I tend to be um, evenings and weekends, which, you know, earlier parts of my career, those were the people who you avoided was the ones who were only in on evenings and weekends because, you know, you never saw them otherwise or whatever. And but anyway, like that's the time with COVID that I can now go in um, with other responsibilities. So I do go into the lab and um, I do a lot of teaching and training in the lab and also developing methods. And I have several industrial collaborators, which is really cool um, because they've been wonderful relationships to spark new ideas for projects. Um, but you really have to, you know, you have to keep that going too. So if you have collaborations and other projects that are not necessarily like the main focus of the lab, that's another pot of time that you have to allocate. And I think that what Dr. Patello, Patello was saying with the um, allocating time, it's really important. You know, even 30 minutes a day of writing, as long as you're doing it consistently and every day, for it, you can get over this hurdle, the mental hurdle of I need deep time to think. And it's just, I just, I'm just gonna write. I have 30 minutes, this is the 30 minutes I have, I'm writing. And if you schedule things, it's really important, so. So, but yeah, the service component's really interesting too, though. Sorry, I, you were going to say something. No, I'm just curious. Like, do you plan daily of like this is what I'm doing, like for this day or like weekly? Like, how do, how do you plan your time really? There are certain things that pin down the week, right? That I know. So I have weekly meetings with people, um, and then I, in between, and then there's blocks of time for office hours and things like that with the program director stuff, and then there's you know, regular meetings. So like the service commitments that Dr. Patella was mentioning, those are really interesting because it's a chance to see how the university works and to give back and and possibly, you know, to, to have a role in advocacy for what is happening for students and, and for research within the university. So it's really important that we're present at those types of things. Um, 
and then yeah so in terms of the time and the the free time there's a certain amount of how do you how do you kind of fit everything in so the spare blocks become times when I tell people like I send out the instructions about how to arrange a meeting you know if you can find a spare time let that's great you can book it or just let me know and I'll see what I can move around okay and do you want to elaborate on your research specifically like what you're researching now currently maybe uh, we'll start with me or should we start with uh Rob there sure we can start with Dr. Patello yeah do you want to elaborate on your research uh, sure. I, I just have to say that uh, I, I may have to step away for a few minutes, like five minutes at most, whenever I got in a call. So I might have to uh, flip-flop a little bit. Talking about managing home while working from home. <laughs> um, okay, my research. Um, well, okay, the, the umbrella that catches all is uh, how the heck do cells make their organelles and change these the organelles in function. That's that's the big umbrella, right? We talk about in cell biology, lysomes, Golgi, how do you form these structures? How do you regulate them? And that's a big umbrella. So we tend to focus on lysosomes and phagosomes. Uh, so these are the organelles that degrade stuff, right? So you want to eliminate something, you're going to send to the lysosome. Uh, so things that protein aggregates that accumulate in Alzheimer's, you're trying to eliminate them not so well eventually. Uh, um, proteins that are damaged, proteins that you no longer need, uh, everything goes to the lysosome. And then uh, even nutrients, right? You, you have another lot of nutrients like cholesterol that are packaged in LDL. Cells take it up, goes to the lysosomes for digestion and export. And of course, in the context of immunity, which is really a big focus in my lab, uh, lysomes are used to destroy bacteria. So we study phagocytosis, the uptake of Fire up. we bacteria and, and other things like that. And then how the heck the phagosome containing bacteria interacts with the lysome. How, what, what do you need to do for that to, to occur? And one of the things we're looking at right now that it's incredible that really almost no one has ever studied about this is the fate of a phagosome. So once you have a phagosome fused with lysomes, and it's not just one lysome, there's a whole bunch of them, and you digest the bacteria, what do you do with this thing? Right, the textbook that you might see it says, "Oh, you know, spit out." Eh, no, it's not. That's based on protests, right? Free swimming, they can afford to do that. In your body, you can't have a microfish going around spitting their crap out, right? So, what do you do with that? So, we actually have multiple projects, and this is I'm super exciting about excited about this because it really is. If you look up, you know, the fate of the phytosome, the ultimate fate, there's really not known. So we're very much focused on, you know, what happens to these organelles, right? How do you form? What's the ultimate fate? And then how do you adapt, right? So you guys learn about lysomes, but is a lysome always a lysome the same way? What if you stress the cell? What if a microphage comes across bacteria, eats them? Now, do, shouldn't you maybe send a signal and say, hmm, infection ongoing. Maybe we're going to soup up the lysosomes so we can chew away things. That's what happens. We discovered that actually. Right, so we, we, we're, we're very much focused on, on, on that context, it's very much immunity. And we also work on these lipids called phosphinositides because they act, so there's seven of them and their different organelles have these different lipids. And basically you can think of them as, you know, uh, as um, uh, I don't know, markers uh, or flags that say, hey, I'm a lysome, I'm gonna have this phosphinositide called PI3-5P2, right? You, so you have to basically control the tags or you're going to mess up the identity of organelles or right? you start getting confused membranes. So that's like a, a 
you know, a big swath of what we do. We're also playing around, with, there's the phone, uh, with immunity. I'm going to have to step away. Maybe I'll come back to it. Sarah, you want to run with it? All right. Sorry. All righty. Um, okay. Same question? Yes. Sound good? Okay. <laughs> um, so I like to joke actually. So he, you know, he, Rob is in the cytoplasm and really I tend to think more in the nucleus. And I think it's, so I'm, I'm really interested in how the genome is maintained in an error-free state and how conditions might, you know, cause mutation that leads to, an, well, an accumulation of mutation that could lead to cancer. And also you see an accumulation of mutation, you know, aging, for example, and things like that. And that can have a lot of consequences on abnormal expression of transcripts and then bad cell cycle programs where, you know, you have cells that proliferate wildly and, um, or uh, fail to proliferate when they should, right? So I'm interested in um, this idea called genome stability, which, or rather, okay. So if genome stability is what you want, instability is the problem. And it's a bit of this buzzword that came out about six, seven years ago, and it's pretty poorly defined even in the field. But what it loosely means is that you have an accumulation of uh, mutation. You have the chance, an increased chance of chromosome abnormalities. So fusions, breaks, deletions, all that kind of thing. And you have bad DNA replication. Okay, so coming out of my postdoc, this is great because um, I love polymerase. That's one of the things I'm really interested in is um, DNA polymerases and RNA polymerases and how you make transcripts and copy the genome. So that's like kind of the basic mechanism I'm interested in. So I'm interested in how, what conditions kind of increase these errors and do they get fixed or do they persist? And how does that influence development of cancer, but also treatment, right? So we work on the, the main project in the lab is how environmental stress can, and so it's, it's very similar in many respects to the idea of stress causes an effect that's long-term, right? So what we see is that if you stress a cell mildly, right, you put it in temperatures that it doesn't like. So 40 degrees Celsius for a couple hours, that's one cell cycle. So it's like 40 degrees Celsius for a day, right? Bearing in mind that they're not homeotherms. Okay, so 40 degrees is pretty not comfy, but survivable. Um, well, what we see is that if you then hit them with a drug, the cells that should die now survive. And it's not that it happens and everything is hunky-dory. They're actually, they have an increased rate of mutation. So we're trying to understand why that is. And we think at some level, it has to do with, there's a switch and you get inappropriate repair. Um, and it's set up with that pre-stress. And this has been studied in worms way back, a while, well, way back like a couple decades ago. It's a concept called hormesis. It's survivable stress either makes, it's the what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, if you've heard that saying, right? So the idea that you may not like the stress, but it will actually enhance survival. But what we're finding is that in certain cases, yeah, they survive better, but they're changed. So what impact does that have on you know, cancer development and aging? And then um, the other thing we think about is drug treatment. So we're screening a chemotherapy drug right now that we have special strains in the lab that we can do this. 
We're interested to know how things like glucose, so if you have a glucose shock or you have too little glucose or um, nutrition in general, how that changes response to drug and what specifically it means long-term. A lot of people look at initial sensitivity. So how many cells did I kill? I killed 90%, thumbs up, right? What we're interested in is the 10% that didn't die and have they changed, right? So they survived. Are they still sensitive to drugs? Are they resistant? And the patterns are really interesting that we're getting out. Like the cause of mutation can be different and who, what cell types are more prone to this, it's variable. So that could help influence um, treatment and drugs that you might give to somebody under different conditions. So are you aiming to have like an application, like your research application, application based as well? At, at some level, yeah, I think, I like to joke that I think as scientists, we're very good problem finders. Yeah. And, you know, because we find very complicated problems, but the, the important thing is to always be thinking of solutions too. And so I was, um, I'm working with a pancreatic cancer oncologist at Princess Margaret Hospital in terms of, you know, these profiles of loss of a certain gene product that happens in cancer and what impact it has on sensitivity in that. So I think the idea of application and impact is always really important. Yeah. yeah. Um, Dr. Patel, did you wanna finish off where you left? Well, I guess I'll, um, you know, so yeah, we, we're doing multiple things in the background. We have these macrophages that, um, you know, the lysomes become this tubular network. They normally are these little dots. You know, if you look at them, there's hundreds of them. And then suddenly if you stimulate them with LPS or bacterial molecule, the cells freak out and lysomes become this tubular network. Why the heck would you do that? All right. So very basic. We're trying to understand that. But from that, we now understand that this affects antigen presentation, which is the key step for developing antibodies. So as a consequence, now we have a partnership with Sanofi Pasteur, one of the key vaccines you might have read on the STAR or the CBC that the federal government just partnered up with Sanofi to expand uh, vac uh, man uh, vaccine manufacturing here in Toronto, right? So we're partnering with them because this process may, may be manipulated for, and we got a CIHR to, uh, grant for, to study this uh, almost, well, just short of a million dollars. Um, so we're, we're getting mice that are mutated in proteins that we think affect this, and we're gonna now do uh, immunological assays, see if they can develop an, uh, antibodies against uh, whatever the heck we inject you know, by manipulating this process. So that's one thing. The last thing that I'll add is we also play around with cancer a little bit in part, partly the fault of Kostin Antonescu, Dr. Antonescu, he's a cancer guy and we're collaborating. Actually, you guys may not know this, but we overlap as PhD students uh, at U of T. He was like, here's my bench, different labs, but here's my bench right across Kostin. <laughs> so, but, so we, we've, we've, we're friends since uh, PhD. So we collaborate quite a bit, right? In the context of cancer. And um, I like to collaborate, right? So we have collaborations with Stefania Pelizzeri, Dr. Pelizzeri. Uh, we haven't yet collaborated with uh, Dr. Sabatinos. We've talked about it, but ongoing collaborations with Dr. McPhee, um, uh, um, uh, uh, Brian Covista, we, we were trying a couple of things. And then international, right? you go outside Toronto, you go outside Canada, uh, collaborations in Japan, in Austria, Italy, that's an ongoing one, Sweden, um, you name it, right? So anyway, fun stuff. So interesting. You know, the key here is the research has to be appealing. 
right? It's basic. It's for me, it's not so much about the applications because you don't know where we're going. You know, all this mRNA vaccine business with COVID, where do you think that mRNA technology came from? It wasn't from the, the Pfizer. It was developed in research labs, the ideas, the concepts. And then someone says, oh, really? I mean, we can try this. Oh, wait, right? So that's that, like science is about exploring. And then who knows where you can't predict things. People always want to predict things, but you can't. So interesting. I feel like we can all relate to what you you guys talk about because we, we study this in school. So like this is stuff that we're familiar with, like DNA and, and phagosomes and everything. So, so interesting. Um, so we'll just move on. Um, so what do you like best about your job and what do you like least about your job? So maybe Dr. Sabatino, if you want to go first. What do I like best? I like the people. I like being able to That's interact. That's my answer. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's funny because, you know, sometimes you sit on these, like, I'm thinking about the thesis exams coming up, the, the thesis defenses, right, for the BLGO 40 students. And as the person asking the questions, you always hate to follow the first examiner who gets first picked because it's like, that was my question. Oh, I was going to ask that. Um, anywho. Yeah, no, I really like the people. I like interacting with the students. Um, I like, you know, my colleagues. Um, yes, we have not yet collaborated, Patello and I, but um, we've had a lot of great discussions and there are some really interesting cross, cross projects in between the lipid profile and the nuclear envelope and then genome stability. And that's one of the things that hopefully one day we'll get a chance to work on. And it's the people that really make a huge difference. And Maurice, oh my goodness, yeah. Maurice is amazing. He comes to BMS 280, as you guys know. Um, and, you know, I am always sending him emails and saying, hey, I have somebody to send. Can I send them? And just having that ability to, you know, to talk to somebody when you have a question is so important. So the people really make a huge difference. And the collaborations as well, you know, knowing people around the world and having that ability to interact. Um, one of the things I don't like about the job, though, is always feeling like there's never enough time. <laughs> like I'm, always, I'm always feeling like I'm running late and I'm always feeling like I just, you know, I try to block off time, but mm, there's just not enough. So if anybody knows of the time store or the money tree, I'll take two. Two extra hours in a day and two copies of the money tree, please. Mm -hmm. I think you're, you're very busy, especially because you have the course that you're running now and research and just yeah it's a lot and you have a family it's, it's what? <laughs> yeah and the and the um but you know it's interesting because um i think that the whole family thing that's the really nice thing i think about ryerson is that there is that extension and that feeling of family and i see that actually in the biomedical science student cohorts you know i don't know what the impact of being remote this here is on that feeling of family and of being, you know, a cohort together. But what I've noticed in the past is that there's very much a collegial attitude in students within the biomedical science program. And that is, I think that that kind of translates throughout. And that's a really nice thing, you know, and it's nice to feel like you're a part of something bigger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I love most about Ryerson. Everyone's so nice. Like, and we all help each other out. People will help with assignments, like no matter what. No, it's not really, it's not as competitive as other schools, I think. Um, yeah. That's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I think U of T is they're more competitive. I think I don't know, but um, yeah. And uh, Dr. Patello, what do you like most and least? I, I wasn't I wasn't kidding. Uh, Sarah stole my answer. <laughs> uh, I, I, I it is people. Um, you know, science is not about well, it is. It's about you know the research, the ideas, doing the experiments. But if that's all you're doing, you're doing science wrong. Right. Um, science is about interacting with people, working with people, discussing, shooting the shit. Right. It, literally, uh, that is like I can't tell you like, again to go back to cost and, and when we were in grad schools and grad school was an awesome time. I grew up as a person, but we also had the best environment. We went out. We had to have beers. We you know, talked science and whatever the heck. And then went back, you know, we used to go to this place called Wolf and Firkin. It's gone now, it's on, it was on Elm. And at that time my lab was in McMaster, which is now demolished and putting something, it was literally across the street, go out, you know, midnight before closing time, go back to lab, do tissue culture. Like that was that environment, like people, people, people. And of course that's as a student, but it's the same thing as a professor, right? You have your own students, you interact. You want to see students get together. You want to see them in, uh, talk, you know, network. And I like to do that. I like to go to conferences and network. This whole online networking bowl doesn't work for me, right? Um, so it's really important to do that. And for everyone who's listening, talk. This is why I keep saying ask questions, be visible, because again, if you're just in the corner hiding, okay, you never know but you are missing out the potential connections. There's my daughter running. <laughs> so, so it really is important. I cannot understress that, overstress, I should say. Right? Really, people is really awesome. And of course, look, uh, I, I get a kick when you know, students talk to me, they wanna know more about it. It's interesting to talk, right? To, to, and I can go back in time and put myself as an undergrad and going, you know, and I said, Peter Mons, you know, Dr. Mons was intimidating. It, it, you know, yes, I, 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 you know, I get it. That can be intimidating sometimes, but don't be afraid, like reach out. Most professors want to talk and chill and, you know, as long, you know, don't send emails. I, I'm deviating a little bit from the question, but don't send emails saying, you know, I want to volunteer. Like give it a little bit more, right? Because too many people are doing that, right? Anyway, people, really important. Um, and again, if you if you go to grad school, don't just go on the bench. Like I I, I get it gets on my nerves, and I get on on my uh, the, the skin of my students who just go to the bench and they they don't do anything. Like go out, <laughs> like interact. That's really important. Period. Okay. Um, what I don't like, and, and, and again, and the sciences. You know, think about this. I'm being paid. Again, I'm teaching, but I'm being paid to solve puzzles. Right, uh, that's a cool job as far as I'm concerned. My my PhD supervisor used to say that to me, like I'm being paid to solve puzzles, <laughs> to think about stuff and come up with ideas how to solve. Awesome, right? Uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, and and for anyone, and I had this being said by my one of my best PhD students, it's like, oh, Rob, and she called me Rob. Uh, I could never do what you did. I'm like, are you kidding me? Do you think I could? have done what I'm doing when I was a PhD. Like, this is a growth pathway, right? You grow. Anyway, I'm deviating. People, uh, why I don't like emails. <laughs> Honestly, it's it's constant. It just, ah, oh, I'm like, I wanna write. I, the emails are really, 
I'm sorry, but it, it is like it's it's a constant barrage of you know that that distract like the squirrel always going like this. That's how it feels sometimes, um, and again, it affects your time management, right? But that's life. I, I'll accept it, right? It is what it is. But it's a it's a great job. I, I I you know I can't say it's the best job in the world. I haven't had a different jobs. You know, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know if it's better to be a lawyer or not, but whatever. Yeah. Um, Dr. Sabatino, did you have a question or something to say? No, I was, I was going to comment about um, what, what he's saying about, you know, asking a question and being visible. A lot of students are shy and are reluctant to ask a question. And one of my mentors um, once told me a story about somebody who he knew who was very shy, like clinic had, you know, a clinical shyness thing, but decided they were going to challenge themselves. And so they decided they'd ask a question every time, every class, it didn't matter. They were in grad school at the time. So they asked a question, they survived, and then they, they ramped it up a notch and they decided to ask stupid questions. So they, they went out to find, you know, the worst question they could think of and they would ask that. And it was a really liberating experience for this person because what they found out was that that wasn't a stupid question first. And everybody says that, I know. But second of all, that other people had the same question, mm -hmm. right? It happens and, all the time. And so it's liberating, you know what I mean? And the worst case scenario is you wind up, you know, you wind up provoking discussion, right? And, yeah. and so definitely be empowered. Yeah. Take, the, I, I, take the risk. It's not a risk. Yeah, I, I want to add one thing. When I, so I said, you know, all the question business and then Dr. Septim is following up with that. This is not to say that it's not okay. Like you can be shy. I, I in high school, I was freaking yeah, shy. Absolutely. I like loser. Okay. So, you know, <laughs> you grow out of it by forcing yourself to go out of it. This is why I keep saying, you know, go ahead, participate, be visible. That doesn't mean, you know, you know, you're in, you're not nervous. You know, your heart starts pumping when you raise your, you that's okay. Just accept. Most people get nervous whenever they're getting ready to speak in front of people. Okay. You get used to it. And I've heard people who say they still get nervous despite doing it all the time. So it's okay people to be nervous and to be shy, but don't that, that hold you back. Full yeah. stop. I turn bright red when I ask a conference at international conferences. I just like, i I'm a strawberry. Yeah. So yeah. definitely. <laughs> Me too, anyways. Um, also, I think it's important for students to take advantage of Zoom because like you're not, I feel more confident on Zoom a hundred percent. Like I probably wouldn't ask the questions that I do in class. Like I'll type it in the chat or raise your hand and ask it out loud, unmute yourself. Like really take advantage now because the profs will see your name. And if you turn your camera on, they'll see your face and just gives you more of confidence put a beauty filter on or something if you want like <laughs> just take advantage of the moment because when we go back to school too now they'll know you from zoom and then hopefully you have the confidence to talk to them normally so yeah mm -hmm. i think zoom is also just great because like you don't have to actually go to their office like you can meet them like at like, 7 p.m um on like a wednesday night and you don't have to be downtown you can be at home and then you can like go watch a movie after if you wanted to like i think like Zoom is just like convenient as well. Yeah, I don't like it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know it has its pros and its cons, but sure. but yeah. <laughs> okay. Um. So we'll move on now. What quality do you guys look most for in students, um, before recruitment and like while they evolve in your team? 
Um, so we can start with uh, Dr. Sabatinos first, if you want to go ahead. Sure. Um, I think it's enthusiasm. And I don't mean the kind of, you know, bated breath, yeah, right? But I mean, like, you know, what you, what I'm hoping to see is somebody who's going to assume responsibility for a project and, you know, really be interested to come out and to try things. And their experimental science is tough sometimes, right? I don't give projects to people who are starting that I think are going to fail. Let me just say that, <laughs> okay? But on the other hand, um, you know, there's a reason why it's called research. I still haven't used this joke in BMS 650 this year. It's um, if we only did stuff once, it'd be search. Yeah. So you have to do things again and again and again. And part of that is for reproducibility, right? For replicates, as we're talking about this week. But part of it is also because stuff doesn't work. And it's when you're doing the really cool stuff that it doesn't work. So hanging in there and having that, that enthusiasm and that drive to keep going. And knowing that it's, you know, for you, it may not be now. So if you're quiet, if you're shy, that's okay. As long as you know that this is what you want to do. You know what I mean? So it's not like the kind of enthusiastic in your face all the time. Some people are that way and that's the way they are naturally. But it's the more, you know, I am, I am in this to learn and to, to grow with it. Okay, thank you. Um, and Dr. Patello, what uh, quality do you usually look for in the students, like in your team and as they evolve in your yeah. team? Well, perhaps in different words from what Dr. Sabatino said, I <laughs> like my students to give a shit, uh, full stop. I, that, that is so important that I see that. Like, look, you don't know what you're going to like. Okay, so you decide, okay, this sounds interesting. I'm going to try it. What I would like to see, so if I get that sense that, okay, this person wants to try this and actually cares, right? I, 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 I want to see that in the student, like they, they care and then they're going to see it through. They may find out that they don't like it. That's so many things you're going to do in life where you go, oh, why, right? You, that's going to happen, but see it through. So I would like to see students, especially you know, as an undergrads that join my lab. Okay, you have that eagerness. You don't know what's going on. That's fine, you know. But seeing that, okay, I, I want to try it. I want to work. I I I want to learn. So that eagerness, right? Enthusiasm, but eagerness, and then seeing it through. If I can trust that someone is going to see it through, they may not like find out they don't like it. That's really important, and that's important for any job. Think about it. Your first job is something you're likely not going to stay on right you're going to jump sideways or forward but if you join a job if you start a job and then you do a crappy job in it you don't show motivation to finish it you're going to lose the network that you just connected with don't do that so i've always i look for that and i hope that the students that join my team have that and develop that sense that awareness it's really important so yeah, the rest is from there. Like if you care, or as I said, you give a shit, everything falls from that, right? Um, you know, that's a commitment, that, that's persistence, uh, that's awareness. You're, you, this is for you. Like I have my job, I'm tenured. And yes, I want to get grants, I want to publish, blah, blah, blah. But this, everything you're doing right now, and this is why sometimes I don't get like, maybe not this group, because you're here, but so many students are enrolled. I'm like, 
but what are you doing here? Like, I don't see motivation. Aren't you investing time and money, right? It's really clear that you, important that you are aware of that. And I see that, that I can then turn around and invest my time in the student. Like my job, many ways and i think dr sapiens will agree this is really like we're mentors i like to be thought as a mentor to my undergrad and grad students in the, in the lab it's harder to do this as an undergrad i'm doing it right now i suppose but but like that that working in the lab is a close relationship right and you you get to know each other and really you know care care about what you do and then i will care very much for your success if I see that you don't care and I have conversations and you're still like, how am I supposed to really support you? Mm -hmm. Right? Take that as a super important message. Um, care, show it that you care. And most likely you got people supporting you to, even if you don't like what you just did, you're going to jump with that person will say, yeah, you know what? Great, awesome person. Yeah, okay, I didn't like my stuff, but look, it finished through and you know, Go gather, right? Um, uh, that's that's really like it starts from there. It's not the A plus, right? Uh, obviously, you know grades can matter, and and you know you have to be able to know stuff. That's the other thing. Sometimes undergrads think, and, and I'm speaking at the undergrad level. You know, you think it's all about the bench and doing experiments. No, you gotta learn. You gotta appreciate the. That's the transferable skill, right? You may never, ever, ever freaking do a Western blot in your life. <laughs> But understanding the reason and why and how it works and then you know troubleshooting and applying, that's important. But you gotta know how it works and why you're doing it. Learn the system. Yeah. Okay, thank you. And just to wrap up quickly, um, how did you like teaching to an online audience? So what, what were some things that you liked and some things that you didn't like about teaching? So maybe Dr. Sabatino, if you wanna go first. Ooh, okay. Ah, okay, so what I don't, okay, I taught a course in the summer, it was a grad course on microscopy, and so I had a pre-taste of what the fall was going to be like, and I learned very quickly that it was going to be strange and different, because it's, you know, it's kind of like talking into a void, really, um, and that's not a bad way. The chat, the chat gets peppered with questions. I'm thinking about like 650, BMS 650 right now, right? There's lots of stuff in the chat and that's great. And people check in and, and that kind of substitutes for, you know, in-person interactions. But what I really miss is the, you know, the spur of the moment interactions as you're coming into the classroom or you're leaving the classroom um, or in the break, right? Remembering to have a break, that connection is lost. And so it's, and it's very hard to get past that. I think it, 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 feels, it feels like a lot, you know what I mean? And so I think I knew what was coming for the fall and for the winter um, based on what I, what I experienced in the summer, right? With a small group of graduate students. And I, I think it's, you know, I think we can do a lot. I love the flexibility, the thing I like about it about right now is being able to record lectures so that students who miss something for whatever reason can go back and listen to it later, right? I, I plan to do that from now on is record, still have in-person lectures, but record what I'm talking about um, as much as I can. I don't know how that's gonna happen. <laughs> I gotta figure out how that's gonna happen with the university, 
But I think it's really important because, you know, none of us has a great attention span all the time. So, hey, why not? Um, and also, so one of the things I do actually as a service commitment right now, I'm on something called the Policy 159 Committee. And it's the Academic Accommodations Committee. So we're looking at the policy. And one of the things that I think this time has really kind of informed us about is the idea of accommodations and not looking at this as something to single people out, but rather raising the experience for everybody, right? So that I think is a critical thing because I don't want to say that this time is good. <laughs> I don't think it is, but I think that there are good elements that we can take from that. And um, I mean, the other thing too that I am constantly worried about is the mental health strain, you know, on everybody, on uh, especially the students. So it's definitely an interesting time. Uh, Patello, maybe you would like to add. Uh, well, I guess uh, if there's anything I like is that I get to see the funny chat that students have. <laughs> that it, it often it's not questions just, and they answer each other. They have a question and oh, what is it? So I guess that's a plus, but in my eyes, in my eyes, it's mostly a negative. And, and in part it's because of how I teach. And I, you know, I I like to be in front of a class, and I think I teach by not like I can't make anyone remember crap, right? That that's on you guys. You have to sit and study, but I can inspire, and I think I do a decent job. Maybe I'm full of myself, but I've had enough. Um, I've had enough uh, feedback that I know for the most part, I do a good job at being present and showing that this is cool shit. Uh, and I'm sorry, I keep swearing, but that's how I speak. And I'll speak like this because it's not lecture. But, you know, really, that is so important for me. And I, I, I think I'm doing an okay job. There's a few people from my course here because I still speak like this, but there's nothing like being in front of a class and you know, talking about it and not you know, reading a slide because that would be boring as crap. My professor in second year bi cell biology at York University, oh my gosh, British accent, read literally what he, and it was cell biology and I'm a cell biologist. It's like, I can't do So I don't do that. And but really like being present and just inspiring and being like excited about science. And I miss that, I, I'm, I miss that. I think it's missing. And, I may try to do it over Zoom and make jokes and whatever, but that is, I can't replace that, full stop. And like I said, you know, I, there's no professor who can, you know, blah, 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 and make you go, oh yeah, blah, 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 I remember everything. There's, that doesn't work like that, right? Period, no matter what. But it, 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 my job, the way I see it for you guys in particular is, that is cool. I like this guy because, Wow, look, he speaks of excitement. So I'm gonna get excited. Maybe not everyone, for, no, I'm not kidding myself. But but there, that's missing. And it drives me up the freaking wall that I can't get it this year, full stop. So I don't like this Zoom thing. Although it's not so bad right now, but no, like I wanna be there with you guys and have a beer, you know, whatever. Like this sucks. <laughs> it does. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure like it sucks as much for professors as it does for students. I feel like it just sucks for anyone in general, even if you're not a professor or a student, like even just having to work at home or like, yeah, it just sucks. I think yeah. sucks is like the best 
word to use. Yeah, it does. Yeah. I feel bad for all the, the families with little kids too, and they have to do online schooling and work at the same time. Because I my went daughter. to my, my yeah. grandmother's house and all the parents are working and it's just my grandmother. She doesn't know how to work the computer to help my uh, my little cousins to uh, do online schooling. So I feel so bad for all those people. So we're kind of lucky, but it's hard for everyone. Yeah. I, I've been like tutoring like kids for online school and just like seeing them be frustrated as they have to like switch from tab to tab because there's so much stuff they have to download. Like, it's like, I feel for you because I have to do that too sometimes, but I feel like because you're younger it's like a bit harder yeah and, and you know what it pisses me off like my my, my uh, daughter is in, in in virtual school who chose to do that and the the teachers you know in the name of being innovative are coming up with all these stupid apps i'm like stick to one thing and stop <laughs> like just tell her to write things on paper <laughs> like I, i'll print the goddamn paper like stop with all the goddamn apps it pisses me off and it's the same thing for you guys i think like yeah. in the name of being innovative, we're gonna do you know twenty different things. I'm like, no. Anyway, yeah. sucks. There you go. It gets frustrating. Um, okay, we'll just ask you guys one more question, and then we'll do some breakout rooms. Um, so this is interesting. What piece of advice would you give to your second year self? Now that you are where you are. Whoever wants to go first, you guys can. Sorry, go. you go first. I have to. Go. Oh, jeez, no, no, no! I was there last time. Oh, come on. <laughs> there, there, there's a second year uh, myself. Feel like no, no, you go first. No, 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 you go first. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. That's a hard one. Um, I think no, don't worry I, so I, much. I, yeah, you go. Oh, that. Oh, you want to go? No, 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 no. You're going. You're hiding. I'm, okay. Yeah, yeah, you go. Well, second year self. Second year self was nowhere as interactive or, you know, as I am, you know, uh, like I probably would feel very nervous about going to an event like this, blah, 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 right? Talking to professor, exactly what we're telling you, like go talk to professor. Like I would feel the exact same way. I, I think it's natural, right? It's again, a progression. Remember, you guys here are on a journey where you're gonna progress into a uh, more complex person with different views of things and, uh, uh, you know, and, and really approach to things. You will always look back and go, hmm, what the heck was I doing? Um, so I would straight out interact more with people. And again, I got lucky. My second year got lucky because I got the second year on summer job and that really changed. That put me in that path of like, uh, you know, interacting with people, being, you know, interactive. Really, that was, that's the key thing. The more interactions you have, the more chances of things happening you have. That that really is as but like again that that you know it's like the the Planko thing again. Instead of one disc going down, you're getting ten discs. Each one you never you're gonna get ten thousand dollars at some point if you play enough. More interactions, more that that's what it is. And the other thing I would say that I didn't do enough was being in um, participating in extracurricular activities. So I was very much like study, study, study. And I would say that's not good enough, especially now it's very competitive. Uh, I think you know, being engaged in, it doesn't have to be anything groundbreaking, but just being engaged in the community where it's student outside the university. And again, it allows you to interact and get to know other people in other contexts. That's why I tell myself, and don't start, don't stop playing soccer. I, I regret doing that. I was actually, a, I got a, a, a 
got it from my mom's the other day. My MVP high school, you know, I missed that. Yeah, I was yeah. a good player. I think having a hobby is really important. Like you said, like if you didn't stop playing soccer, I think it's important to have a hobby mm -hmm. just to like kind of disconnect from absolutely for a while. Yeah. Um, Dr. Sabatino. Oh, oh, sorry. And one more thing. So, well, yeah, I almost forgot that. Uh, <laughs> For the longest time in my life, I did not drink beer. So it wasn't until I was in grad school. So I would definitely tell my second year, start drinking beer earlier. I think, Bye. I think, that's, <laughs> no, I think that's like a solid piece of advice. Because I, yeah. I like... That, I'm not advising no. you guys. That's myself. That's myself. <laughs> I can't tell everyone. There are people who don't drink for... No, it's good to years. wind down sometimes. I think, yeah. think that's really needed. Um, Dr. Sabatinos, do you have any advice you would give to your second year self? Um, I think I, I was pretty much into study, study, study. I did actually, I was involved in, um, cause I was still in physics at that time, right? The physics club. And you know, what's interesting. I was at Guelph, right? I never saw the cow with the hole in its side. Like I'd hear stories of this cow and I never saw the cow ever at college Royal. Anyway, not saying that that would be a high point, but, um, yeah, I think I would tell second year self don't stress so much because exactly like what Rob is saying, you know, it's a journey and it's really about the way and, you know, you don't know how things are going to turn out. I actually have a cheese philosophy, um, which is that, you know, you kind of start off as this soft unripe cheese and then all of your experiences, good and bad, you know, develop you over time. Yeah, Maurice is laughing uh, now. Uh, He's sorry. wondering what kind of cheese I'd call myself yeah, now. You could <laughs> yeah. get stinky cheese. <laughs> Bit of a fun fair, that's right. <laughs> um, but you know, like there's, and, and part of that too is developing your sense of self, not smell, but self, right? Um, so we'll go away from cheese there. But it's developing, you know, um, not just a thick skin, but also a sense of, worth because I think that as as undergraduate students and as students in life all the time there are always moments you know where you're doubting not just your choices but you uh you right and it's really easy and you know and that's that's a it's a big thing and it's even worse right now with all the mental health issues that are I think uh, exacerbated and even caused by the environment that we have right the lack of connection and, and so that's why getting out and, and being a part of clubs or, or, you know, having some kind of connection is so important because that sense of self and it, this may not be what you love at the moment, right? You may not be able to see the path clearly, but typically what I have found over my career, right? And there has been some very, very difficult lows, right? But, you know, they turn around and it's not always in the way that you expect. And that by finding the people to talk to and the mentors and networking and valuing yourself, you can get by and become something different. And, and, and you know, and as long as you maintain that sense of self, right? You're, you're true to yourself and what you wanna learn. You know, it, um, it's kind of like overcoming in a way, right? And that's powerful. You may not like what you're doing, right? But you can make the choice to keep doing what you're doing and get through it. I, I like to add to, to that, like, you know, I, you know, sometimes we talk about things as if, you know, everything was good to go, but we all have challenges in life, right? So, you know, 
you know, we're professors, you may not see a lot of our personal life, but, you know, we had, you know, currently or in the past have situations just like everybody else where it, it's, it's tough, right? My, my dad was an alcoholic. That's partly why I didn't drink for a long time. Uh, so I grew up with that, right? And, you know, you don't see that. You don't think, oh, you know, because many, some of you, I, I'm sure you have, you know, uh, the same type of situation. Maybe not, you know, it's not a big group, but there's always situations like that. And, you know, I, and what Dr. Septimus was saying, like, you, you know, the self-worth. One thing that happens when you get older, I think, is you start being, hopefully, there's something to keep in mind, because it is harder when you're younger. Not to, not to care so much about others, what they think. Because uh, that is definitely something that's, it's almost like in human genome, right? You care so much when you're younger, teenager, whew, right? And you get old, I'm like, oh, whatever, screw off. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, being aware, being aware that, yeah, you're going to have detractors. You're going to have people who are not going to support you. They are going to make your life harder. But, you know, don't, you know, that thick skin, you know, try to be aware. You, maybe it's not easy. Maybe in your mind, you know, you're constantly thinking about what happened there. That happens. But, you know, becoming aware and training yourself to develop that thick skin is going to be important. And it happens, I think, especially if things start to click. You know, confidence builds confidence. Right. And, and um, so you got to find your where to stand so you can float and then build from there. That's that's one way. And of course, you're not necessarily going to know where that is. Right. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. No, I you don't have to take on the funk of a blue cheese, but the rind of a Parmesan Parmesan. Sarah, I would say cheese is not the best. <laughs> analogy maybe you know aging wine aye, aye, aye. whiskey i don't know really? <laughs> careful okay. you might get a gusher <laughs> right <True. laughs> the I'll, off I'll products the of fermentation watch i'll out. take the cheese i'll take the cheese thank you guys for sharing that's yeah i think we all need to hear that and something before we go into breakout rooms which we should go quickly um what i found i saw this quote it's like choose your hard like life is going to be hard. It's either like, are you going to work hard now or like, like have not have money in the future or something like it's either hard now or hard later on. So like choose your heart. There's always going to be something you just have to like, think what you want and, and fight for it. Like you guys said, like have passion and keep on going and persevere. Yeah. The good old days were gone, right? It's, it's when you're two, three and four, yeah. the rest is all downhill. I'm sorry to tell it you. Hard. <laughs> it's hard. But I think also the marathon, the idea that, you know, the best things, the things, there are things worth fighting for and, and they typically be a long, they're a long game, right? And so stick with it because that's, that's important and it's hard to maintain sometimes, but stick with it. Um, I just want to open up the floor to any students that have questions because I know we'll probably do breakout rooms, but I kind of like hearing like other people's questions for prof. So if anyone has questions, if you guys want to just shout it out. I'll type it in the chat. If not, then we can just do Rico rooms. I'm going to end the recording now.